Today on this episode of the PV Roundup Special Spotlight. If you're experiencing treatment failures, I think a lot of times our, our, our go-to is add another drug. And um, we're not stopping and asking patients to demonstrate how they use their inhalational device. Today, pulmonologist Drs. Robbie Callen and Jill O'Hara rejoin the podcast to discuss gold guidelines updates for COPD in 2023 in the second and final part of this PV Roundup special spotlight. Boehringer Engelheim has 100 years of heritage in respiratory disease. Since 1921, they have emerged as a leader in this disease area, having launched several treatments in a range of respiratory conditions including asthma, COPD, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, and lung cancer. Their focus is on improving the quality of life of patients suffering from debilitating respiratory diseases and enabling them to maintain a more independent life. Learn more at BoehringerEngelheim.com. The content is solely the responsibility of the authors and does not represent the views of Boehringer Engelheim or its affiliates. Thanks for joining us for the second part of this conversation about the updated gold guidelines and how we can apply them to our patients with COPD. The other thing I think that they've brought up this year that's really critical and certainly something near and dear to my heart, which is device. Um, If you're experiencing treatment failures, I think a lot of times our our, our go-to is add another drug. And um, we're not stopping and asking patients to demonstrate how they use their inhalational device and, and making sure that they, quote, know how to use it, be, do use it correctly, and, and are strong enough and, and have the force when it comes to dry powders to be able to use those correctly, or the coordination when we're looking at meter dose inhalers to use it correctly. So having some knowledge of of who's best for what device, watching patients use the device and making sure that they're using it correctly often takes care of all the problems with symptom control and exacerbation control, and you don't even need to step up or add another drug. Yeah, it's interesting in gold, and in I've always found this to be so important yet underemphasized is that there are recommendations for initial medical therapy and we could have a three-day conversation about what that should be or shouldn't be. But the most important part, it seems to me, of gold is that second flow chart you were talking about, reassessment. When we prescribe a medicine, we're supposed to expect that it helps the patient we prescribed it to, right? We should have a therapeutic expectation that we set with the patient when we prescribe the medicine. We're giving you this inhaled therapy because we expect it will result if you pair it with pulmonary rehabilitation and proper device use, that it'll result in you having fewer symptoms or feeling better or less exacerbations over a year's time or things like that. And we should set that expectation for ourselves and the patient so that if those things are not happening, we can change the therapy. And the idea that it's a dynamic situation is actually pretty important in my view, that it's not just here's your inhaler, get out the door, be on your way, that we need to think carefully about what we're hoping to happen and then actually assessing whether it happens. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, something like the CAT or the MMRC is grossly underutilized in in clinical practice. Um, And and they're very simple uh, questionnaires uh, you can actually have the patient fill it out um, when they're in the waiting room. 
Um, and, and I have to tell you, because I routinely use the CAT in my clinical practice, in, in my uh, outpatient clinic, and I'm shocked if I just say, do you have a chronic cough, you bring up phlegm, you know, whatever, you know, often I'll get an answer, are you short of breath on exertion? Often I'll get an answer of no when I go on to the CAT and, and ask them to rate uh, their, their cough on a scale of zero to five. I never cough zero, I cough all the time five. And they'll choose three or four and after they've told me they have no cough and I go. <laughs> and the same way with, you know, the way the, the dyspnea question is, um, is phrased. Uh, when I walk up a, a slight hill or a flight of stairs, I'm not out of breath, zero. I'm totally out of breath, five. And, and they'll give me a, a score of four or five after they told me, no, I don't get short-winded. You know, it's just like, ah. So I think, I think you get different information when you use a, a, one of those validated questionnaires. You get more information and, and it gives you an idea of where do I need to go back and ask more uh, pointed questions of this patient. And pragmatically, right? You got a number from zero to 40. Zero is better, yes. 40 is bad. And if you start at a 30, you give medicine, it goes to 20 can feel pretty good about what we're doing. And we can show the patient that too. We can say, look, things are better. Yes. I, I find that compelling. Yes. Jill, yes. the last thing is this idea. And I understand the, the clinical trials database and why we would say dual bronchodilators for those with exacerbations. But the two biggest studies, IMPACT and ETHOS, that look at triple therapy in secondary analyses do show that using triple therapy compared to long-acting beta agonist, mus long-acting muscarinic antagonist combination, labolama combination, dual bronchodilators, there's a mortality benefit in both of those studies. So there's something to grapple with there, right? Should we just give people a triple because the risk of an ICS is low and there might be a mortality benefit as long as, as well as an exacerbation reduction benefit? Or are we really doing favors by giving lab and lama to frequent exacerbators? Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I, spoiler alert, I already you know, showed my hand and said that I, I tend to give people triple therapy who have frequent exacerbations. Um, you are absolutely correct that, that these studies did show, now it wasn't a primary endpoint, but they did show a mortality benefit. And I think it's really also important when you're thinking of that recurrent exacerbator to begin thinking about other things that improve mortality. And, and so, and, and you kind of mentioned in passing the concept of pulmonary rehabilitation, shockingly, Pulmonary rehabilitation is one of the few therapies that's been shown to improve quality of life, decrease exacerbations, decrease all-cause medical costs, and improve mortality. I mean, you can't beat that with a stick. It's a great therapy if we could only get people to, to do this. We haven't touched on smoking cessation, uh, which is you know always critical, and you have that that window where patients are paying attention to you when they're in the hospital. So that's a, a, great, a, a great thing that will reduce mortality. Um, we didn't talk at all about um, lung, volume, uh, lung volume reduction surgery, which has been around for a long time. But for those people who, who have problems with exercise tolerance and have upper lobe blebs, um, that's, it's a therapy that's gonna actually um, 
it, it's going to have an effect on mortality. Finally, there's been a recent, in the last couple, two, three years, a, a ATS position paper about non-invasive ventilation in people who have chronic hypercarbic respiratory failure. And while there's not a plethora of data and the studies are are difficult to control, the conclusion of the panel, the expert panel, was that uh, the data did seem to support the concept that that mortality, was, that death was reduced in people who had chronic hypercarbic respiratory failure and were placed on home non-invasive ventilation. So I think, um, and then of course, home oxygen for hypoxic people. So I think all of these should be considered when you're faced with a very sick patient um, in the hospital, what am I gonna do to make them stay out of the hospital, live longer and live happier? And perhaps the whole message, Jill, is that there's lots we can do and it's great. There's a lot left to do for COPD, but really, when you look at the recent gold document, there are so many effective therapies and so many effective approaches. And the we're past the nihilistic phase, which is a great thing for us and our patients. Well, Jill, this has been a, a really great conversation. Thanks for joining me today. It's been my pleasure, Ravi. And I want to also mention it's, it's uh, vaccination time. Don't forget all of your vaccinations for your COPD patients, flu, pneumonia, COVID. Have a great day. Thanks. And that's today's special spotlight. Thank you for joining us for this episode of PV Roundup Podcast. For more stories like these, visit us at pvroundup.com to subscribe to our weekly newsletters. Thoughts, comments, or suggestions? Please leave us a review on your preferred listening platform or email us at editorial at pvroundup.com. Subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Pandora, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, or Google. You can also download our Amazon Alexa Flash Briefing Medical News Roundup and just ask, what's my Flash Briefing? Thanks today to our guests, Drs. Robbie Callen and Jill Ohar, and to Sean Mullen and Kate Rio for production assistance. Join me next time for an episode where we cover the latest stories in the world of medicine. 